another episode of Two Guys in Chainsaw. I'm Todd. I'm Craig. And today, we decided to go with a bit of a departure. Uh, this is a film that is near and dear to my heart. We will see how near and dear it ended up to Craig's heart. <laughs> this is a Japanese film called House, or in, in Japanese, Hausu. <laughs> it was released in 1977 in Japan. Never got a worldwide release. You're until, kidding. Until <laughs> I think I can see where this is going. <laughs> Until 2010, when it was sort of resurrected, and for example, we watched the Criterion edition. You can get this in a Criterion DVD. Has quite a cult following. Has gotten some pretty good critical reviews. Now did not get great critical reviews when it was released in Japan. However, it was a box office hit, especially with young people. When it was originally released. Oh, yes. And they didn't even expect it to uh, to be a big hit. Even the creators of the film <laughs> did not expect it to be a hit. Uh, the industry over there, you know, is just a little different, um, right. especially at that time. Even the industry over here was. Um, but there's a, a very large, pretty much the monolithic Japanese production studio called Toho. And it was the Hollywood. It Still is to an extent, but J- Japanese films aren't really as big as they used to be, even in Japan. They're really watching a lot of foreign films more than Japanese films, with the exception of the anime right, um, right. within the Japanese society. Uh, but at its day, Toho was cranking out a tons of movies. And so it was very much the studio-type system that we had in Hollywood, where they would just make a lot of movies. Actors and actresses were under contract to the studio, and as long as the successful ones did well, then... The other films, you know, could be experimental or an era that I think we're missing now a little bit. Yeah. You know, where we just rely on those box office hits. Right. But we can talk more about the movie, uh, the movie's background a little later. I want to just get your initial impressions before we move on. I have no idea what we just watched. That was the weirdest <laughs> thing I have ever seen. <laughs> really? I don't even know how we are going to go about talking about plot. <laughs> like. <laughs> It was just a collection of the weirdest, most bizarre visuals that I've ever seen on film, I think. (laughs) So strange. So strange. And I watch a lot of weird stuff. We've watched some weird stuff together. Yeah. I, I think this kind of this, this one takes the cake. It takes the cake. Well, it does have a plot, right? I yeah. Mean, it's not. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be apologizing for this movie the entire <laughs> way through. <laughs> Poor Craig. People have likened this film to a live action Scooby Doo. Yeah, and I can totally see that. And you can definitely see elements of anime in there too. You know, I don't know a lot about Japanese cinema. I, you know, I have friends who are big into anime, like big time into anime. And I've seen a few things. Um, and, you know, we kind of over here, I think, um, in the States, we get tickled by clips of Japanese um, game shows and, and uh, commercials. And this felt very much like that. I mean, it, it reminded... Again, this isn't even real, but it reminded me of that episode of Friends where Joey shows a Japanese commercial that he did for men's lipstick and like it's just all these crazy bright colors and flashes of weird imagery and that's that that's what's going on here. It's a lot, like times a million. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that because the director, uh, Nobuhiko Obayashi, 
Um, before it's a mouthful. <laughs> Good <yeah>. job. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. He actually, I think this was his first feature film, or perhaps uh, he did some other feature films, but they weren't uh, as big or they were more small and experimental. He mainly did commercials before doing this. In fact, the whole cast of this film, with the exception of who you would call the lead, um, who is Kimiko Ikegami, who, if you're into Japanese cinema, you'll recognize her. She played Gorgeous in the movie, which Gorgeous actually translates a little better into Angel, which gives a little more explanation yeah, for her yeah, role in the makes film. sense. With the exception of her, these are mostly amateur actresses in this film, uh, and it shows in many ways. Mm -hmm. uh, they uh, were people that he worked with on his commercials and things that he tried to bring in. The studio had approached him and wanted him to make... This is 1977. Mm -hmm. They wanted him to make a movie that was kind of on the realm of Jaws. You know, some big production, something that would be big blockbuster. And he was floundering around for ideas and approached his daughter and asked his daughter, well... Let's talk about some of the things we should do. And she was like, you know, movies right now are kind of boring. They're real grown up and they talk about adult matters that kids can't understand. Can't you make something that's maybe a little more youthful and appeals more to youth? And she came up with all these ideas from her dreams, from ideas that she had. And as you can tell, it just got thrown in a blender and made into this movie. It took a while for it to even get greenlit because everybody thought the script was total bonkers. Mm -hmm. And eventually, his producer, this producer at Toho, um, said, well, why don't you direct it? And uh, Obayashi remembers this as basically being him telling him, we're tired of losing money on comprehensible films. Let's go ahead and shoot this movie, which is totally incomprehensible, and see how it does. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's weird that you say that because I feel like on paper, it would have looked like a very different movie. I, I mean, the story is is weird but relatively straightforward mm -hmm. it's really more the way that it's shot and all the wacky effects that make it strange and and bizarre i mean there are elements of the plot that to me made absolutely no sense um <laughs> like uh, there's at one point a guy turns into bananas for no reason that I can understand. I have no idea what was happening. Um, but, but other, you know, aside from those few things that really just seem to completely come out of left field. Few things? Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, like, I, I'm dumbstruck. I don't even know what to say. Well, we have this Scooby-Doo type assortment of girls. They're all uh, starting their summer vacation. They're all high school. And all of them, like cartoon characters, have names that reflect their distinct one-note personality. Uh -huh. So you have Gorgeous, who's the girl who's the star of the film, and she's the one who's doing her hair and her makeup all, all the, the time. time. And everybody's talking about how gorgeous she is. <laughs> you have the professor, who is the mousy girl with the glasses. eyeglasses on, who's very smart. She's the logical one, right? Yeah. It, it, even at one point in the movie, they, they take the glasses off and say, you look beautiful without your glasses. <laughs> which is like this sort of nod, I think, to that whole aspect yeah, of these yeah. films, which is funny. We had Mac, who's the person who eats a lot. Uh-huh. And I guess by Japanese standards, she's fat. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> she's barely what we would consider pudgy here in the states. She's cute. I mean, they're all they're all cute girls. She's the butt of every single joke, and she's always eating or talking about wanting to eat. It's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, you have Fantasy, who I, is the girl who's 
wrapped up in her fantasy world, I guess. She's the dreamer. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has a crush on Mr. What is this? Togo? Mr. Togo, yeah. yeah it's a, a teacher. teacher. Right? And she's been fantasizing about running off with him. Uh, and then we had Kung Fu, who is the sporty girl. <laughs> and like we have to explain that that's true. We have Kung Fu, who <laughs> does <way>. Kung Fu <laughs> throughout the film. She even has her own little Kung Fu score. That's right. Um, that was fun. Melody. Plays the piano. That's right. And who am I missing? Sweet. Sweet. Who likes cleaning. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> little insight into Japanese culture, too, sometimes in this film. (laughs) So, the movies, um, we're not going to probably explain the entire plot to you, because it makes no sense, but we're going to hit the highlights. Essentially, the thread of it is that Gorgeous is planning to take a trip to see her auntie out in the middle of nowhere, Japan, where who she hasn't seen since she was a tiny little girl. And her backstory is that her mother died quite some time ago, when she was young. And uh, then her father is now getting together with another woman who he just surprises her with Mm -hmm. out of nowhere, really. And that's an interesting scene. It's so weird. The whole thing is so weird. First of all, (laughs) it it looks like it's set... it looks like it's shot on like a soap opera set, like yes. a really, really bad soap opera. Yeah. With what, what's what's clearly just a stage with arguably fairly impressive backdrops, lit backdrops behind. But it, I mean, it almost looks like a parody of a soap opera. It's so over the top and ridiculous. I think it is, you know. <clears throat> and I think that's what's really cool about this movie is from the very get go, they're pulling you into an obvious fantasy world. Mm-hmm. Like this world doesn't reflect reality, even in the scenes that seem like they would reflect reality. Right. Even that shot, that scene between uh, her and her father when she's talking with him. And he introduces his new um, bride-to-be. It's shot, like you said, on the soap opera set, like it's on the out uh, the balcony. Like a, like a veranda, right? But it's shot through glass, like a glass pane mm-hmm. that warps the people as they're walking past it and through it. And we never get to the other side of that glass. Right. It's all shot through that. So even as we're seeing these characters having what's supposed to be a fairly real interaction the interaction is so overwrought and sometimes it slows down and becomes slow motion for no apparent reason right and gusts of wind come in and we'll have like superimposed close-ups of characters faces and the fiance i I have no idea how to pronounce her name but ryoko ima um, ryoko ryoko ima she apparently has her own personal wind machine that follows her everywhere she (laughs) goes because she's always draped in these scarves and they're always just billowing around her face always (laughs) and she's always in slow motion yeah and she always has these dreamy far-off smiling looks as she turns from one place to another and even her dialogue is very carefree like because um, Gorgeous doesn't take to her at all. Right. She's very ticked that her father is um, marrying somebody else. She's taken by her until the dad says, she's going to be your new mom. And then, then Gorgeous is not pleased. Yeah. <clears throat> and so uh, it seems to be this 
really overdone contrast what you'd see in a romance film from the 50s times 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Casablanca or yeah, something. Yeah, that they're parodying here in yeah. a way, yeah. And it, pr- it presents a nice contrast with whatever what, what else is happening in the film. Except for Gorgeous, the rest of the girls were going to go to this summer camp or something with Mr. Togo, and it turns out for some reason they can't go. What was, <laughs> what was the reason? I don't even remember. Mr. Togo, they're they're like waiting for him to go or whatever, and it's, it's his sister has like a a summer resort That's or something, right, yeah. something like that, and she's sick. He, he, no, he pulls up and he's like, "Bad news, my sister's gonna have a baby." <laughs> Oh, that's so awful. So, so we so we can't go, and just the, it's so silly. Uh, so gorgeous comes. She was supposed to go on a trip with her dad, but now she's not going to go because she's mad. So she was go. She comes and she was going to join them. And when he says we can't go, there all the other girls are disappointed, and she says, "Well, let's all go together to visit my aunt, who I haven't seen in a long time." And then, like, in voiceover, you hear, and that's how I invited them all to your house. <laughs> like, aunts who I haven't seen or spoken to in 10 years. I hope you don't mind. I invited my whole class to come hang out at your house. <laughs> she has this cat, and did she, did they discover the cat, or has she always had the cat? That I was confused about that through the whole movie until the end. I thought it was her cat in the beginning. And then as soon as they, so they they go. I mean, they, she gets a letter from her aunt. Yeah, bring everybody. Great. So they go and they take this cat. I thought that it was Gorgeous's cat. It's, it is. It, it. I think it is. But it says later in the movie, the aunt is like, these girls are going to come here, and there haven't been any girls here for a long time. So I will send Blanche the cat to them. So. <laughs> I and and when it they said that, yeah, yeah, the aunt said, "I'll send Blanche to her to them or something." Oh, okay. And then when they get there, the cat immediately runs in, and there's I don't know, yeah, there's some random dialogue about how which cats can close doors or something. I it does know. become important. It, uh, they're on the train there, and they're teasing each other and spooking each other out. And uh, one girl says, cats can close doors, but only a witch can open them. Something something along those lines. Yeah. And when they get there, the cat, they're trying to get in the gate. The gate won't open, and then the cat pushes it open, and it opens up, and the cat immediately runs and jumps in the ant's lap. The ant uh, is white-haired and in a wheelchair. And then... It seems like the cat stays with her. It's her cat, and like there's pictures of the cat all mm-hmm. over the house. That's a big motif in the um, whole film. So as it, t- I mean, it, it appears that the, it's like a witch's familiar, right? Yeah, it's like a manifestation. Although we learn later on that the witch herself is more of a manifestation than an actual witch person who lives. Well, strange things start to happen right away. I mean, for you know, the weird opening gate, and then the aunt takes them in the house and she talks to her chandelier and it comes on. And then, like, crystals start flying off the chandelier and, like, one of them stabs a lizard into the floor and others, like, shoot at the girls, but Kung Fu breaks into her Kung Fu action and, like, chops them all away. It, it's like, oh, well, that was weird. <laughs> like, like, Thanks, Kung Fu. <laughs> yeah. Hee-hee, let's, let's have fun. Well, the whole tone of the film is not terribly serious. No. Um, even f- And there's a score that underscores the entire thing, and it's bouncing from place to place, but the music is 
pretty much always there. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, even in the scary scenes, it's a bouncy 70s soundtrack, a little funky. Like low budget. Mm -hmm. Um, Like an an old 70s Burt Reynolds movie or or something like that. Yes, exactly. Like Cannonball Run or something. And 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 even even the way that the soundtrack is mixed into the film at times... It sounds like it's in the background, almost playing in another room. Uh-huh. It, the way that it lays under the dialogue, it doesn't seem like it's scoring the film so much as it's just a song that happens to be playing. It's it's bizarre. Everything about it is bizarre. Yeah. There's nothing conventional about it. And I guess that, you know, that that's interesting. If you're looking for something different, you're not going to get much different than this. It's unlike anything I've seen before. But in a good way? I don't know, Todd. <laughs> oh, you break my heart. I don't know. Uh, Todd's wife uh, has never watched a movie with us before. <laughs> and um, she sat in on this one, and I thought that she had seen it before. But after I found out she hadn't, when she said, <laughs> I spent my Sunday afternoon watching this. <laughs> and I don't know. It's one of those things where I think I'm glad to have seen it just because I'm like a collector of trivia and, and, and whatnot but and it you know it would be fun to talk about with anybody who has seen it or who hasn't seen it but as your wife said and i think very astutely said <laughs> this could have been 20 30 minutes <laughs> like i feel like i could have got what they were going for in 20 to 30 minutes oh um, i don't know man to be fair almost any movie could be reduced yeah to 20 yeah to 30 minutes. i suppose but i mean so Basically, then what happens is in a lot of weird... Well, the ant just acts weird, and, like, you know something weird is going on from the beginning. Like, the cat's eyes sparkle, like, magical green, and the ant's eyes sparkle magical green, and weird things are happening. So you know that there's something weird going on. And then the girls... And it takes a while. You know, they're there for a little while. Um, The girls kind of start getting picked off and really, really... I'll say weird. You mm. could also say creative ways. <laughs> Cartoonish. Car- really. Very much. Very car- And actual cartoon. Yes. Uh, you know, a lot, there's a lot of animation um, throughout the movie and a mix of animation and, and live action, which, is, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's different. <laughs> <laughs> well, and some of the, the special effects are reflective of the time where you can tell it's green screen and it's kind of a cheesy green screen. Other effects, you can tell they were meant to be goofy and outlandish and out there, like you're watching a Pink Floyd video. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. You you know, if you've seen The Wall, this movie is very reminiscent of that. Yes, it it is. It moves from from animation into live action into weirdness all at, at the same time. The first kill is, of course, the fat girl, the fat girl Mac. Uh, Mac, and she goes outside. They have uh, basically tied a watermelon to the end of a rope and dropped it down a well in order to cool it off because the auntie says the refrigerator doesn't work. Uh-huh. And so Mac goes outside to get the watermelon, and we don't, we don't see, know. We no, don't know. She what just happens. disappears, um, and they, the other girls, eventually say she seems like she's been gone a long time. That's right. Um, and I, I, I'm pretty sure it's fantasy because fantasy. fantasy is typically the one who finds these weird things, and then nobody believes her because they think that it's all in her head. Um, but she goes out, and I feel like things are just kind of weird in general. But she, she goes to pull up the watermelon, and when she pulls it up, it's Max decapitated. Smiling, living head. Santa. 
it kind of flies around. It for a laughs bit, at her, and then it bites her in the her. butt. <laughs> it gets stuck to her butt. Even for a in while. death, Mac is trying to eat something. Oh man! <laughs> but of course, it's fantasy, and nobody believes her. Oh well, that can't be right because they go outside and they pull up the watermelon. And it's just a watermelon, and it from here on out up until the big climax, fantasy is the one who sees all the creepy things outright. Uh-huh. And of course, they never believe her. Well, and then they go to eat the watermelon, and I feel like you can kind of hear Max's little voice in the background, like it's coming <laughs> from the watermelon. And then the ant is eating the watermelon. And I don't know if she showed this to one of the girls or if she was just showing us because she broke the fourth wall on more than one occasion and she like opened her mouth <laughs> just a little bit, just a little bit just so that we could see that there was an eyeball. She was eating an eyeball. So I guess oh, and the eyeball would look left and right. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess they ate Mac <laughs> in yes. the form of the water valid. That's right. It, it doesn't make any sense, folks. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> it's and at that point that was when I realized I'm just gonna have to roll with it like, just well, just let it just let it just let it roll but honestly I think yes it doesn't make sense but in the fantasy world of a witch and a witch who can do pretty much anything who mm-hmm. can transform things who can make them whatever we just saw the witch right uh, we saw the American kind yeah, of yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. ver- version of the witch and there's transformation and there's flying and there's that. In this film, okay, the witch killed Mac and transformed her into a watermelon, and now everybody's eating Mac, and they don't even know it. It's this sly, funny, and creative way of dispatching of them. Later on, one of the girls, um, Sweet, I believe, is attracted to this doll in one of the rooms and starts getting pummeled by futons. Yeah. (laughs) It's like death by mattress. (laughs) Non-stop. And when they come in, they notice that all of her clothes are in there, and they pick up this doll that's completely naked. Mm-hmm. And so it's obvious that she's been transformed into this doll, right? And, but not obvious to them. So I felt like there were very conventional witchy-type things going on. I mean, within the fantasy realm, these things aren't that weird. Yeah. It's just the delivery. Right. I mean, it's... it's we're not I, used to seeing the comedy and the, the over-the-top silliness, almost cartoonishness of it. Right. And I mean, he, he, I don't know if I would say conventional, aside from she's magic and she can do what she wants. Like, she can... Dis- she can sneakily slip into the refrigerator and then and close the door behind her and then appear dancing in the rafters Now that was a great scene. (laughs) Was that not a great scene? Overhead shot of the girls talking and they're and they're talking about her and where where could everybody else be? And I think even I think is it Professor leaves. Um, it's just fantasy and prof and they're doing dishes or whatever and the ant is dancing around because she's rather happy. You can tell she's getting her power from the death of the girls. Right, that's it. I mean, as soon after the first, after they eat Mac, all of a sudden now she can walk again. Yeah. Um, and she says something like, you girls are giving me my energy back or something Ooh, like that. Yeah. She's dancing around and it's it would be creepy if they weren't so oblivious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, <laughs> and so the second prof leaves the frame like the very second the ant is just dances her way right into the refrigerator in front of fantasy Uh so that only fantasy can see it the door shuts and she freaks she drops her glasses and like immediately prof comes right back in but it's too late Uh it's just one of those moments um i'm trying to think of another movie that does this exact same thing where where the person just playing with them and they make something happen in front of them 
just at the right moment where nobody else sees it. Right. And nobody else sees any evidence of it afterwards. Yeah, I can't think of any examples either, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, uh, you know, in those those kind of old horror comedies where something will appear in the mirror just for a moment for just one character to see, or like a, a trap door will open and only one character will see and the others won't believe. It's it's that kind of tone. But in a devilish way, like when your protagonist is clearly playing with somebody yeah. and getting a lot of glee out of it. Because while the, then while Prof runs back in and asks Fancy what happened in the fridge, as you said earlier, we see her the the um, ant crawling. We're up in the rafters, uh-huh. and so we see the ant's head come into frame like she suddenly magically appeared on the rafters, and she just turns and looks at us directly the at camera the camera and <laughs> smiles like, "Check out what I'm doing." <laughs> Oh, I'm boy. sorry. I take such joy in these moments. I'm um, glad. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe it's because I've seen it before. So I really, from the very beginning, was going to roll with it. Right. Well, and you you kind of knew what to expect. I didn't even know what we were going to be watching when I showed up today. Yeah. Um, so I knew nothing about it going in. <laughs> I, you know, and then there's, so, again, like, I don't even remember how they all get picked off, but there's, lot you know, lots of just supernatural weird things happening, and it's like you said before, it's kind of like they took a whole bunch of ideas and threw them in a blender, and they don't all really connect and make sense, but it kind of doesn't really matter. Right. You know, it's not like you're looking for some sort of explanation. Like, at one point, one of the girls is in a, a tub bathing, and you get that, like j-horror black hair thing coming up over her shoulders and then it you know goes back down under the water real quick when somebody else comes in the room or something uh gosh what well melody the ant is showing them around the house and i guess it must be told that there is a backstory to all this yeah Uh, there is some clearly some tension between the ant and gorgeous's mother and and this is played out in a really creative way i thought this was on the train ride in where they're talking the girls are talking and gorgeous is telling the girls about her aunt and about her mom and apparently her aunt lived in this great house obviously with her mom and uh her aunt fell in love with this man and this man had to it was world war ii and Mm -hmm. this man had to go into the army and he died in an airplane crash but not before he left promising her that he would return Mm -hmm. and so you see later that the aunt that that uh, Angel's mother, or Gorgeous's mother, mm-hmm. falls in love with another guy, and they get married. And the aunt is like a bridesmaid of some yeah. sort. And you can tell that the aunt is really kind of jealous or right. upset that her mom... And that's where I got the sense that the aunt was had been waiting for Gorgeous to come this whole time. Well, she, was, she says that. I mean, she says, I've been waiting for your letter. Yeah, and this is why I think she was waiting for her. It's almost to exact some revenge on the girl because obviously her her husband never comes back his plane crashes into the ocean there's no body there's no nothing and we learn later on as the explanation is doled out to us at the end of the film that the aunt died a long time ago and that this is just a manifestation of her love uh, for her husband who never returned right and uh, it is in the form of a ghost and it takes its revenge by eating the girls in the village. Right. She, under the guise of like giving them piano lessons, mm-hmm. um, but she says she doesn't anymore because there are no more young girls in the village because <laughs> <laughs> she's eaten them all. Yeah. It's a um, ominous. And, and so she's, she's now eating all these girls and, and they, 
they go in different ways. Like you said, I think it was Sweet was the one that um, got attacked by pillows. Um, And then the girls later on see her, like, trapped in a clock or something. Yeah, it seems like the gears of the clock are are chewing her away. Uh Gorgeous actually goes pretty early on, I think. She's sitting in front of a mirror, like, putting lipstick on. And the image in the mirror changes to her aunt, like a, a younger version of her aunt. And then the mirror shatters. And then there's a weird effect where like her, her own face, her face kind of shatters and falls away. Um, that was, I thought that was a very interesting scene because it was almost a sister scene to the flashback we were talking about uh-huh. where she's what I interpreted anyway, to be discovering her mother's old makeup chest Mm -hmm. and going through and maybe using the same combs and the same brushes and putting on the same lipstick that her mother, uh, you know, had long ago. And the aunt, the evil aunt sort of in the mirror makes this connection and there's a possession of sorts. Right. It's how I took it to be. Yeah. And so then gorgeous is, she's not around as much, but you still see her around and the girls see her around too. But it's not really her. It's it's the ant, right? Yeah. 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 I mean like, I think like the ant is gone. Yeah, like the ant has possessed her. Yeah. And 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 I think again, I think that in an, inc- an admittedly incomprehensible movie, all that makes some certain amount of sense. Yeah. It's the sins of the father are visited upon the children. Right. In the same way because gorgeous even looks so much like her mother, that whole looking in the mirror and her aunt looking back at her Possessing her allows her aunt to almost fulfill, right. in a way, her, her revenge fantasy. It even says, you know, it's like they figure it out somehow. I mean, they find a journal or something. Called Lost... What was the name? I don't remember. Yeah, Lost Uh, Memories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Professor, of course, figures it out. Right. From reading the journal. And so they figure out that, you know, she eats these girls so that she can be young again. and And then she wears her wedding dress. And so Gorgeous puts on the ceremonial wedding dress and is wearing that for the last part of the movie. Yeah, the plot, it's not hard to follow. You know, it, it's its pretty simple. It's just that everything plays out in such a crazy way visually. I have no idea what the significance of the melody was, but there's this melody that repeats throughout, and eventually, oh, the melody, the character melody, um, <laughs> sits down to play uh, the piano, and like there's like this old faded sheet music there, and she plays the melody. Like, the metronome starts on its own. She's sitting there playing this melody, and the melody's really repetitive, and it plays throughout the whole movie. Yeah, you don't hear anything but this melody for much of the film. Um, and it sounded really familiar to me. I think it didn't wasn't similar in tune necessarily, but it almost was reminiscent of like Jolly Old St. Nicholas or something like that. Um, really simple, but she, you know, it's like she's drawn to the piano and at one point she's playing the piano and then we see the girl, other girls in another room and Melody screams and they come running in and they're like, oh, it's just a little cut why are you you know acting like such a baby and she's like it's so weird it's like the piano bit me and then later on i think that they're upset at somebody else having disappeared and uh, they say why don't you play the piano to calm us down or something and she does and then it's just her and fantasy in there i don't even remember who's left i know prof is left and the piano eats melody yeah (laughs) right right in front of well one of in front of fantasy yeah yeah the other two leave yeah it, it eats and like again it's it's bizarro it's, it's a mix of animation and and like stop motion and her limbs are getting spit out of the of the piano at fantasy and flying around and floating in the air it's, 
Her legs are still kicking, uh, but her head is floating around. And because her legs are, we get sort of a almost an up the skirt shot, basically, of her yeah, legs yeah. kicking as they're going. And then her f- head floats by and looks down and goes, Ooh, that's naughty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, it's funny because as goofy and as intentionally over the top and silly as some of those moments are, even in the moments that are ostensibly to be poignant and a little quieter. It's almost as though the director cannot help but insert something goofy in there anyway. Yeah. And I'm thinking back to that scene where you were just talking about where she sits down at the piano for the first time and Uh she plays. And the metronome starts up, but she doesn't seem to notice or care. Right. And she's playing, and it goes into a slow motion sweep where the camera starts at her back Uh and starts to slowly sweep around the piano and her playing. And it's... It's a really kind of a nice little scene. Uh-huh. And as it gets around to face her, we see in the background this skeleton that's been in the corner of the room because this room used to be a medical clinic uh-huh. is conducting. Yeah. <laughs> to the music. It just pops up in the back there, yeah. <laughs> just subtly conducting music in the background. You can't help but just bowl over and laugh. And yeah. I mean, it's. It, and the effects are. <laughs> <laughs> cheap, I guess. I, I, I mean, you can tell that it's just the skeleton's arms are on strings, and somebody's just pulling the yeah. strings. So they're just going, and you can hear the bones rattling, but Melody apparently can't, or doesn't, or is enchanted, or, or something. But that skele- it's funny. That skeleton comes to life in the background a few times, yeah. uh, just for comedic effect, mm-hmm. it seems. And I know that the director, being a director of television commercials and wanting to go really over the top with this movie, tried a lot of different techniques. He said he really didn't even know how it was going to show up, in you know, until it was done. Right. And that he wasn't happy with how a number of the effects did end up turning out. Well, and I read that they were really just kind of doing these effects as they went. Like, and it was just the director and the cameraman who were figuring out ways to do this. It's not mm-hmm. like there was some sort of like effects team, you know, it was just them trying what, what they could do. And it looks that way. But, (laughs) but at the same time, it doesn't look super cheap though. Does it? I mean, I don't know. I mean, cheap is in the cheap effects of a low budget movie where everything's string and twine and, and taking into account that it was made in 1977, I would say, no, you know, it's probably pretty comparable to, Except for there's so much more over the top. It's like so many different effects blended together. It's very ambitious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate that. I mean, I will give it credit for being creative. I think that it would take a creative, maybe that's being a nice word, a creative mind to come up with uh, <laughs> these ideas. Um, it's it's interesting that, you know, so much, so many of the ideas came from his daughter who was young, presumably, and it feels very much like Scooby-Doo, like you said before, but then at the end, all of a sudden, there's a a bunch of nudity, like, it's, that seemed unexpected and kind of out of place to me, and it seemed forced, like, how can we get her top off? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, and, and people are, like, the way that Prof goes is Kung Fu, she's, you know, she's the tough one, she's trying to end things and i think prof says kill the cat kill the cat like they think the cat is 
you know, bewitching them or something. And she doesn't even try to kill the actual cat. There's a, a, a picture or an illustration of the cat on the wall, and it's changing and looking scary and demonic. And so she goes to Kung Fu kick it, but before she can get there, she gets eaten by a hanging lamp. <laughs> but she gets chopped in half and her legs <laughs> are still able to kung fu this this picture of the cat and like the picture rips and blood starts spewing out of the cat's mouth and <laughs> the whole house fills with blood and all of a sudden the floor panels become like rafts and and this is pretty ambitious i don't even know how they pulled that off um (laughs) but uh prof and is it fantasy the only ones who are left at that point are floating on the raft and prof loses her glasses so she can't see anything and then she either falls off or somehow gets pulled off there's a floating (laughs) in the water there's a floating tea kettle it was the tea kettle they had used earlier to pour the tea, and it has a flip top on it. Uh-huh. And uh, the floating tea kettle comes by and opens up, and it has teeth, and it bites her hand and pulls her in. <laughs> and then <laughs> it's so, like out of Alice in Wonderland yeah, or something. And so she goes underwater, and then she comes back up, and then we get the underwater shot of her, and she's completely nude. Yeah. <laughs> Just, and we get a pretty good long shot of her live nude body in, in the water. And it's, and it's not that it's not a good shot. It's actually a really good shot. I'm just wondering, why does she have to be naked? I don't understand <laughs> it. And then, so then she's gone. And then um, Fantasy, like, paddles her way over to the staircase where Gorgeous who we know is actually the ant in Gorgeous's form now, starts coming down the store stairs towards her. Fantasy is saying, help me, Gorgeous, or something like that. And she reaches for her, but then... She, she grabs at her blouse, but falls backwards. Right. Mm-hmm. She, so she grabs at her blouse, but falls backwards. But, you know, conveniently, the blouse rips off so that Gorgeous's breasts are now exposed. And Fantasy then uh, is able to get up to her and kind of lays her head on her breast and says mommy or yeah i see i saw that as a sort of mothering kind of thing not like she's breastfeeding her but evoking that similar image of mothering her and i get it it just seemed a little much for me (laughs) i i I have no problem with nudity you know i'm all for nudity it just seemed it that that would be one criticism i had it seemed out of place you know and i'm not sure the explanation of this cuz i haven't <laughs> done like a complete anthropological study mm-hmm. of japanese film but you do tend to see that a bit in japanese films where it's not just that it uh whatever you know we don't really care about it so much like a french film or whatnot but it's it's almost there's some excuses made to pull a top off or to have somebody mm-hmm. nude for some reason and i really don't know why I don't know if it's just because they're mostly men making these films, Maybe. or uh, if there's some cultural explanation beyond. Yeah, I don't know. Or if I there's mean, some symbolism, or maybe even you know. For all I know, the, the whole notion of them eating them, of her eating them, they've you know you got to get the clothes off right. before you can eat them. It's like yeah, you know, sort of like you'd strip down an animal, but right. who knows? Right. And, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, we're talking. These are beautiful girls. It's you know, it just it felt a little bit exploitive. Yeah. <clears throat> oh no, question. Yeah, I agree. Like this is how we get our R rating. Yeah. What is this? I mean, does it ha- is it rated? It's I mean, not rated. Yeah. No. I mean, because up until that, up until the nudity, I was thinking, you know, this could be 
easily a PG rated film. You know, the there's there's More imp- or less. there's implied violence mm-hmm. and, and you see it, but it's so over the top that it's it's and there's not a whole lot of blood. When there is blood, it doesn't look like real blood. It looks mm-hmm. like red water. Like yeah, like people are getting dismembered and stuff, but you can tell it's like a cut and paste job. You know, yeah, uh, it doesn't look. It doesn't look real. It's not gory. Um, it's really not scary. I mean, it's it's more just you know eye candy than scary. And I think that was intentional. Yeah, probably. I, I mean, I they mean, certainly had the ability to make it you know realistically gross, but it would have it would have ruined the comedic, like I said, cartoony aspect of it, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, and I think that I would need to you know Japanese culture is so different than ours, and I know so little about it. I can't imagine what audience they would have been making this movie for. I mean, it's just... I mean, do you know more than I? I mean, is this reflective of a type of Japanese... If I went out and looked, would I find other movies like this? If you were to take this and tone it down considerably, it is not out of the tone of of where Japanese comedy tends to go. Gotcha. A lot of it can be buffoonish, uh, a little over the top, a little silly. I'm thinking about that character toward the beginning of the movie, The Watermelon Salesman, uh-huh. where they pull the watermelon off and he's making these faces at them. And right, to being... reveal his head, his face behind. Right? Yeah, and he's being really over the top silly. <laughs> He's almost the guy in the film who warns you away from the house, except he almost seems like he's not warning them, but like, oh. Well, and I mean, it's just, it's silly. You know, it's like this watermelon stand just right outside of where this mansion (laughs) is in the middle of nowhere. This big fat watermelon vendor, I guess, that sits out there. And like when he's, when he sends the girls off towards the house, he's like waving goodbye. And in the background... There's a, a watermelon laughing. Like, <laughs> like, I mean, it looks like something out of Sesame Street or, or something along those lines. That it's, aspect it, of it's a little silly, but th- that sort of character, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you could liken him to a Jim Carrey type character yeah, in the yeah. U.S. We we have these buffoonish, over the top, outlandish, silly characters that almost almost seem like they're not even acting very well. Uh, but we tolerate it because we like the kind of humor, we like the kind of slapstick that comes right. out of it. So you get a lot of that same stuff here, and I would say this film is definitely geared more towards children. It seems that way. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, and I mean, we've we've pretty much covered the plot except for so we assume that fantasy gets eaten. We don't see it, but she's being be she's being embraced by the witch, and it cuts away. So we assume that she's gone. The other subplot is that the uh, fiancé, Gorgeous's to-be stepmother, she said very early in the movie, I'll go meet them there. I'll let them stay for a little while, and then when it's time for them to come back, I'll I'll go and I'll talk to her. Yeah, it's her way of uh, making amends with Extending Gorgeous. an olive branch, mm-hmm. right. <clears throat> and so at the very end, well, we Mr. Togo was supposed to show up too, <laughs> but he can't find the mansion. There's a, there are all kinds of sequences of Mr. Togo getting waylaid. Yeah. One, one way or another, whether he's at a noodle shop just taking his time or he's stuck in traffic in a noodle shop where apparently a bear is the chef (laughs) and nobody nobody you know okay (laughs) a bear in like a like a karate suit suit yeah yeah is is cooking the noodles okay um so eventually he almost gets there he gets to the watermelon stand and he says like the watermelon guy's like 
do you want a watermelon? He's like, no. He's like, I don't like watermelons. And and to, and the guy's like, well, what do you like? And he's like, bananas. And he just starts screaming, bananas, bananas. And he gets in his car and it cuts away from him. Um, the the fiance <laughs> arrives at the watermelon shop. There's nobody there, but there's Mr. Togo's car full of bananas in the kind of general shape of a person. So I guess he was turned into a whole bunch of bunches of bananas. <laughs> that, that is, to me, that is the weirdest moment in a weird movie. Yeah, I guess you just attribute it to the power of the witch. Like, she's keeping him away. I, I Who knows? Yeah, I feel like maybe she's in cahoots with the watermelon guy. Maybe. Uh... The fiance shows up and um, with her wind machine... <laughs> and um, right. she, you know, very slowly and gracefully approaches the mansion and the birds are singing and the flowers are in bloom and everything's very beautiful. And she's standing outside and um, uh, gorgeous from inside opens these big sliding doors. I've seen these panels before. I mean, you know, it's pretty typical Japanese agriculture, I think, at least traditional. Uh, Agri- uh, agriculture. Agriculture. Yeah, no, architecture. architecture. Excuse me. <laughs> that was good. I was thinking, really? <laughs> um, so these big slide, and she just very, very slowly opens all these doors while the fiance is just standing out there. And uh, see, I loved that scene. It was pretty. It was, but it, it was, was a pretty so, shot. It was, it was, uh, so funny too because you're getting this just skipping through the trees and every mm. little flower and it's shot to be absolutely gorgeous but there's this ominousness suddenly of because we know well if you hadn't figured it out by now there's also the motif of only witches open doors or right only, right you know and right. so she's slowly opening this sliding door and it's and so then, long that she has to walk all the way across the frame and she does it very again. slowly it does it twice <laughs> yeah two panels <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of neat, really. It's 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 pretty to look at. Well, and it's also a very dark comedy because this woman's coming to extend this olive branch, and she's so delightfully doing it. She's putting on her sweetest face, and you just know she's gonna get it. Right, right. <laughs> well, see, and that's it's funny because I thought I I didn't see it going where it went. I assumed that the the fiance would show up and then somehow she would rescue them and then oh. they would you know then gorgeous would like her and it would be you know a happy ending um, but instead they kneel on mats uh, opposite each other in this you know kind of open air porch of the house and the fiance says where are all your friends still sleeping and gorgeous says yeah they're still sleeping but they'll be up soon because they're hungry they wake up when they're hungry <laughs> and then is that the end that's the end right and then and then she uh says oh i'm so ha- happy to see you or whatever and anyway they end up holding hands and as soon as they hold hands um the fiance bursts into flame oh right right yeah. <laughs> and then you're right then it is pretty much the end where we get a a scene of just gorgeous's face tossing around and smiling a little bit. And well, some sort of weird It's a voiceover, yeah, over her about... And I think it's the ant, perhaps? Yeah. And it's about love, and it's about how love, only love endures. Yeah, like the body may die, but love endures. And that was... I thought that was kind of weird, yeah. tonally. Like, yeah. It, like it was... It almost seemed like it was supposed to be some sort of sentimental message after all of this weird wackiness and the, the fact that she killed all these people i mean that's that's it's it's odd i saw it as a ghost thing you know um yeah it is haunting it is haunting and again that was the explanation given for the ant was that it was 
her love that endured even after she died. Right. Um, just in a very negative way. Mm-hmm. Right. It's the ghost that doesn't come back to help people. It's the ghost that needs its revenge. And and you do actually see that. It's a different kind of ghost lore, right? And it maybe is. we'd be able to unpack it a little better if we understood it. But we have films like The Grudge. Right. That's exactly what I was thinking. Not not dissimilar. I mean mm-hmm. different different motivation, but the same kind of and you know, in that one it's that the anger uh, from from this event manifests itself, and it you know it's something different in this one, but in the same vein. <clears throat> Before you explained uh, what I missed about the cat being sent to her to lead them back, I had it in my head that the that the cat was a cat she grew up with. That it was almost the ant's manifestation uh, in the cat that was just waiting, like keeping an eye on her, keeping an eye on her, waiting for her to get that, you know, to get the impetus to go to visit her house. Uh, and then, obviously, when she did, its purpose was complete. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, you could probably interpret this movie ten different ways yeah. and not be wrong because, as the makers of this film freely admit, uh, it's incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was in many ways meant to be that way, but. I don't know. I really enjoy watching it. I mean, it stokes my imagination in the same way that I'll go back and watch a He-Man cartoon or a Scooby-Doo, and it makes no sense, and it's childish, and it's kind of silly, but uh, it's fun to watch. It's creative and silly. I wouldn't sit down and watch it again the way we watched it today, Mm. but... I could see how it would really be something super fun to put on like in the background at a Halloween party or something, because you could just catch glimpses of it, and visually... As weird as it is, it's it's really visually stimulating and and it's you know wacky and off the wall and um, if it were kind of atmospheric background, uh, I could see you know I, I could see that, but I don't know. It, you know you've seen it more than once, so uh, it's it's too silly to be scary. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not it's not scary. Yeah, and like you said, uh, it's not bloody. Really, I mean, what, what blood is in there is over the top and really cartoonish, and not even—it doesn't even seem real. No. So uh, you could watch it almost with your kids, like as you long said, as you're okay with with, the with nudity. nudity, and the nudity is just some boobs, right? Um, and it's not even that long, um, and it's not—you know—it's not—it's not gratuitous. Well, it's not—it's not, it's not gratuitous. It's it not is gratuitous, right? 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 It's not sexually. Um, graphic. It's it's just nudity. That's all. Well, I didn't know how you were going to take this film, quite honestly. And I don't really know. How... I don't know if it would have been better if I had told you. This is the kind of movie it is expected, and and maybe you would have taken it a different way. What do you think? Was I wrong well, in keeping it completely secret from you? I don't know. Uh, you know, after we watched it, um, I took a break and 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 tried to read up on it a little bit, and I really couldn't find very much. So I don't know that. I would have really known any more coming in either way. And plus, I, you know, sometimes we watch movies we've both seen. Sometimes we watch one that only one of us has seen. Um, and I, I kind of like the element of surprise and kind of not knowing what it's going to be going in. Um, I had no expectations. Had I had any... <laughs> I, I, you still wouldn't have uh... right it, it would have whatever expectations i would have had would have been defied period <laughs> because it's, it's so strange there's no way i really could have described it to you that would have properly set you up for right. what you were getting into right i don't know how i would it, it, it would be difficult to describe to anybody i mean it's 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 very different and you know, you know, I I like to consume as much of this stuff as I can. So I'm. I, it's not that I feel like it was a waste of time. 
Um, not my favorite. And, okay. And, and probably not my favorite style. And like I said, I probably wouldn't sit down and watch it again. But if, you know, if, if somebody said sometime, I want to see something just crazy, just out there, just totally wacky. I would recommend this movie. There you it's, go. It's it's wacky. Well, a lot of people f- will find, especially if they're not, f- haven't seen many of them. Some foreign films can seem out there to a boring extent. Mm-hmm. They're so out there they can be incomprehensible because they rely either they use a cinematic language that's foreign to us or outdated. They uh, are touching on subjects that we're not familiar with or even comfortable with here in the U.S. And they do it in certain ways that, again, is not conventional based on what we're familiar with coming out of Hollywood. That these movies can be uh, difficult to understand and therefore difficult to enjoy. I think this is one of those foreign films that would cut across these boundaries. Because even though it's difficult to understand and it's really out there and weird and unlike anything you've ever seen before... It's not for those reasons. Mm-hmm. It's not because there's something you're, you you have to unpack here and you're going to leave frustrated because you didn't get it. Right, right. Right? There's nothing to get. Um, there's just something to, to take in and, and, and enjoy yeah. the goofiness. And, right. I do also wonder how much got lost in translation um, because the... Again, our languages are so different. Um, and like you said, uh, even the the real japanese name of the protagonist if it you know gorgeous is one thing you said it really probably more closely translate to angel and that really kind of makes some thematic difference and so i wonder if um some of the jokes don't translate well mm. uh I, and i have a feeling that may be the case um it's still funny all three of us were were chuckling and laughing at parts and it, it really seems like it's playing for the humor as much, if not more, than anything else. And it is a goofy, wacky movie. I think, uh, for me, I, I enjoy the creativity and the cinematography. I don't know. The cinematography is so bizarre. I mean, they're like, and it seemed like there were times when he would do things with the cinematography that it was like, let's just try something different here. Mm-hmm. Like, it didn't really seem to have much purpose. Like, there's, really? one, there's one point where the girls were trying to call the police, and all of a sudden... The filming just became really staccato. Do you know yeah, what I mean? I like know what just you mean. like jerky. It's like he undercranked the film so suddenly instead of seeing it like twenty four frames per second, we're seeing it at twelve. Yeah, and it was weird. And I didn't unless he was just trying to, you know, make it You're right. Supernatural, you know, like a, a supernatural atmosphere. I, I don't know, it just seemed weird to me and it, it was for and this I'm sure is just preference, but it was off putting. Like it was hard to yeah. watch. Like it almost gave me like a headache. Like yeah. I, I kind of wanted to look away. And it went on for too long. Uh-huh. Uh, and you're right. It didn't seem quite as connected. It was harder to see. I don't think it's always successful. No, you're yeah. absolutely right. Anytime you're doing something like this, you're really playing around. And some of it's going to work and some of it's going to fall flat. I agree with you. I don't think it's a cinemato- uh, a masterpiece of cinematography and that some of the choices maybe weren't the best. But... And you're coming at this from the perspective of a filmmaker. You make films and I don't. And so I think that it would be a really interesting thing for a filmmaker to watch just to see how he's doing all these different things. Um, I I don't have that technical background. so. Well, and doesn't it get kind of nice every once in a while to see something that's different? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like this is. There are times in here where... He's trying. He's clearly trying to highlight something in the scene, and whereas normally we would do a close-up cutaway, or we would somehow frame the shot so that even though it was happening in the background, your eye was drawn mm-hmm. towards it. In this case, he just 
does a uh, what do you call it? like a little spotlight where mm-hmm. the screen kind of goes black and kind of zooms in on that one yep. spot and then comes back out again. It's it's something you'd see in a music video. And mm-hmm. even then, it would be strange. Yeah. It was interesting to see that happen a couple times in this movie. Again, I'm not sure if it worked, but so different. Right. You know? I mean, I can appre- there are parts like the the piano eating the girl. Um it felt very music video to me, yeah. but it was and it was so weird. But it was it was interesting to watch. I mean, it was it was very different. The special effects were or they were clearly not going for realism. You know, it's it's surrealism, and yeah. it, it's interesting to watch from that perspective. <laughs> well, we have some definite mixed opinions about this. I think Greg, <laughs> C- Craig, and I agree more than we disagree about it. But I would sit down and watch it again uh, wholeheartedly. Not. It's not, again, my favorite movie, but uh, I enjoy it just for the goofy silliness of it. And I love sharing it with people because everyone has a different reaction to this. And some people absolutely love it. Some people are more on the fence and some people like leave halfway through. I just can't take this. (laughs) I need to be more drunk. Yeah, right. (laughs) I think that might have helped. (laughs) But no, I'm glad we watched it. I'm glad you picked. Well, thank you again for listening to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. If you like this podcast, please share it with a friend. Check us out on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher. iTunes, thank you. We're on iTunes and Stitcher. And leave us a comment in one of these places to let us know what you think. We'd like to hear. I mean, if you've seen House, if you're one of the few people who's seen this movie, I would love to hear what you think. I would, too. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With Two Guys in a Chainsaw. Bye.